stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. UFOs, or unidentified flying objects, they've been with us, or at least the idea of them have been with us, for as long as we can remember. We've seen them played up on TV shows, movies, and in the case of 1938's War of the Worlds, on radio. But you might be surprised at just how many UFO sightings are reported in Canada each year. Would you believe that it's actually about three per day? That's over a thousand sightings a year. Now, sure, some of them can be easily explained. A weirdly lit airplane or a stray spotlight, but not all of them. In the U.S., the Pentagon recently declassified shocking videos of flying objects that they just could not explain. Some governments have even started putting millions of dollars into programs that study the existence of UFOs. Needless to say, the age of just shrugging off these sightings is coming to an end. And it brings the question, what are we really dealing with here? Here's Rob Freeman. He's a UFO world explorer, but in 1966, he was just a young boy in Sarnia at a scouts meeting. This is his story. I was just a normal kid like any other kid. You know, I was um, going to school. Let's see whether it was, I have to remember back whether it was high school or public school. It was Monday night of, uh, I've got the date here, March 28th, 1966. So I would have been 12. So I guess that would put me in public school, right? Uh, I was going to Lake Road Public School, and we had scouts, and it was a Monday night, and my mom had told me, you know, when scouts was over, just use the church phone and call me, and I'll be along to pick you up in about 15, 20 minutes. So I went outside, and the first thing that happened when I went out the door is there were these kids playing in the street right there, and they said, hey, mister, uh, I must have looked like a mister with my scout hat and tie and pressed shirt and pants and belt and you know knee socks and and black shiny shoes right <laughs> but i was only 12 years old uh, but they said hey mister there's a there's a helicopter up in the sky now i always thought that was strange like who cares you know like why would they tell me that and so i looked up and i'm looking at this light and i'm thinking helicopter i don't hear any sound i don't I, you know, I don't see any blades rotating around. I don't, I don't, I just see a light. And it's a very bright light. Um, and it would be as bright as, you know, when the ISS goes over these days, maybe even brighter than that. And I said, you know, kids, this is, that's not a helicopter. And they said, well, what is it? And I said, I don't know. And I'm, and I'm watching this thing, waiting for my mom to arrive. And it's strange because it was, it was going slowly from the north to the south and you know as you can imagine i was right outside the church so i was right by the river there this was the strange part because each time it would straight change direction it was instantaneous and that's when you know i got the goosebumps on my arms and thinking wait a minute <laughs> you know my in my world of physics anything that has to change direction has to come to a stop and then accelerate back or it has to at least go in an arc if it's a helicopter, like, you know, to change direction. This didn't. It was like today's modern video games. Like instantaneously, it was now going in the other direction at the blink of an eye. And I thought, this is odd. What is it? Each time it changed direction, it seemed to get lower and I could see it better. And 
when I looked carefully, you know, and of course at that age, your eyesight is 20-20, right? And, you know, we all wear glasses today, like you and me, everybody. And, uh, but when it got, when it was coming like lower each time it changed direction, then I could see as I looked up, it was a circular thing and it had the light seemed to be like in the bottom, almost like a lens. So now instead of being a light, it's a lens and I could see things moving behind it. And I thought, oh man, is this a UFO? Is this a flying saucer? When I saw that it kind of had this lens in the bottom and things moving and I thought, Maybe this is a UFO or a flying saucer. I was getting nervous because each time it changed, it was getting lower. And now it's up at about maybe five or 600 feet. And just then my mom arrived. And I thought, thank God. And uh, because it, I almost felt like what's going to happen to me? The kids had disappeared. Now, here's the strange thing. Looking back, I never saw them leave. Now, you know, this is... This is kind of a bit of a tangent and it's, you know, it might be far stretching or whatever, but, you know, first of all, were these kids human kids? You know, maybe, maybe not. You know, why did they call me a mister? Why did they bring it to my attention? And how come I didn't see them leave? Like, you know, it was just two things they said to me. They said, you know, uh, hey, mister, look at the helicopter up in the sky. And I looked and I said, it's not a helicopter. And they said, what is it? That was the only interaction I had with them. And they were right there. And I never saw them leave. So, you know, was there some kind of a communication there between me and this object? Obviously something. It's very coincidental that as soon as my mom gets out of the car, it's gone. And of course, I felt like an idiot because it's like, here I am, you know, petitioning her to get out of the car she gets out and it's gone where it was there moments earlier so it was pretty quiet in the car going home i i get home with my you know to my dad's there my brother's there and i'm you know telling them about it and they just laughed so obviously there are some questions surrounding this story the major one being are we looking through the lens of a creative child's imagination well that being said this account is pretty detailed and not uncommon with what people had seen in other documented sightings. Another major kicker to the story is that this was around the exact same time that a major sighting came out of Michigan, just across the river from Sarnia. Seven law enforcement officials saw what they believed to be a football-shaped flying object that maneuvered in the air at a rapid rate for four hours. The seven officials who saw this were joined by hundreds of fellow citizens from the area. Could Rob's experience have been linked to that Michigan UFO craze of 1966? Well, obviously there's no way to know, but these were two pretty similar occurrences that happened in pretty close proximity to one another. Does add some validity to the then 12-year-old sighting. But what further cemented the reality of what Rob saw came the next day. When I get home from school that day on the Tuesday, March 29th, 1966, my mom's all excited. And she has the newspaper open. And she says, Rob, what you saw last night is all over the newspaper. UFO and my immediate thought was, yes, there is a God. And uh, so I was super excited because I was validated what I saw. You know, and that's not something that most of the people that see strange things have. You know, everybody else gets called a crackpot or a tinfoil hat person or whatever. 
this was all over the front page. It was on the first page in as well. So I was excited. And from that moment after, I never worried about telling my story. I didn't care what people think. I saw it, okay, um, and 200 people saw it in Sarnia, and it was all documented in the Sarnia Observer. More recently, just a few years ago, I went back to the uh, library there in uh, Sarnia, and I got a copy of that. On the second page in, it talked about, like they interviewed people at the Selfridge Air Force Base on the American side, just down the river, right? It's maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes south, 10 minutes south, I'm not sure, Selfridge. And they had talked about that they scrambled two jets to go chase this thing that I saw, and it couldn't catch it. It took off at a high rate of speed, just left them in the dust. Now, the interesting thing is, when you go to the library, the Sarnia Library, and get the uh, archives, you get the microfiche with the newspaper on it, and all the newspapers, usually the microfiche has all the pages, including ads, everything. It's interesting to note that this particular day, Tuesday, March 29th, it has the front page and it has page three and beyond. There is no page two. Where it got into all the juicy details and names, names, and things like that. I mentioned this to the lady at the library and she says, well, you know, is, is it important that you get page two? I said, yeah. She says, well, let me call around. There's other archives in Canada. She called all the archives around Canada and nobody has page two. Nobody. Their page two is not in the microfiche. So I said, is that normal? And she says, well, it can happen from time to time. I said, well, it's interesting that, you know, this is a very important sighting and page two is missing where they name names. They interviewed people at the Air Force Base. That's not in the archives now. It's gone. It is very odd that the most important parts of Rob's UFO sighting happen to be removed from all archives. The more conspiratorial among us might think this was a pretty big cover-up. Could the same mistake really have been made five different times at five different locations? Who knows? But what has been documented is both the U.S. and Canadian government's peculiar handling of UFO sightings both captured by image and just plain old eyesight. Oftentimes, these things get classified, never seeing the light of day. Recently, the U.S. government declassified over 140 different sightings of UFOs. It's a startling admission from the Pentagon that this sort of phenomena has been happening and that they have been documented and examined. And now that the declassifications have happened and government programs have been staffed and funded to look into the occurrences, the stigma of coming forward with these stories seems to be lifting. It's not just people wearing tinfoil hats that are reporting these occurrences. It's people wearing lab coats who have doctor at the start of their names. It's a trend that both Rob Freeman and his partner, Mark McNabb, have begun to see in their adventures around the world. Their journey started together eight years ago this coming February, and they've traveled to 16 countries and around 100 different cities. You know, the stigma is now disappearing because the U.S. government has come out and said that these things are real. Okay, so because they've said they're real um, and they're saying more and more things, they're releasing more video that they have. I mean, I'm sure that there's hundreds of hours of archive that we don't have party to. 
that exist. I'm sure that they do have the downcraft. I'm sure that they do have, you know, alien bodies. They have all these things. It's just that they've kept it under wraps since Roswell 1947. And if you remember, you know, the, the newspaper did say that they had an alien craft, but then in the next day it was retracted and it said, oh, it was a, a high, uh, like a balloon. It was the remains of a balloon. So, you know, right when they retracted it, that's where the cover up started and they've been covering up ever since. But now they're uncovering again. We're going in the reverse direction. This is Mark McNabb. Rob and I have been a part of this for eight years. And, 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 and honestly, it, for so many years, I would say 75, 80%, you know, it was considered fringe, fringe science, pseudoscience, you know, like not real. But yeah, here we are talking to computer physicists and, you know, analysts and, and different things. Like we're, uh, we're literally, you know, in the valleys of Hestelin in Norway talking to a man who's, you know, a PhD who has spent 35 years of his life um, investigating and analyzing data from three different base camps, you know, of a phenomenon he can't he can't explain. Does he say that some of it is natural? Yeah, he he has his theories, but he also has his other theories. Some some of them off camera, right? Where he says, "Look, I, I've got to tell you about something else," you know. Um, so you've got this this shift. This whole phenomenon um, is around you. Like some of the crazy things that we've had happen. We've had objects disappearing. We've had objects appearing. We've had technology has been interacted with. We've had all the cameras go off. We've had all the iPhones shut down. We've had, um, we've actually filmed stuff at a conference. It was a really interesting, a really, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I smile about it because, you know, it was a live conference and there was a couple hundred people there and the gentleman had been on different TV shows, Steve Burke, and he started to interview Rob and, and ask, what kind of things have you had happen to you? So you've got a couple of cameramen, a sound person, a couple of PAs, you know, the whole kind of television setup. And everyone's all hooked up and they're recording Rob and they're doing all that. And Steve asks Rob the question, what have you had happen? And Rob starts to explain just like he did now. You know, well, you know, sometimes we had these technical difficulties, you know, batteries drain. And in no joke, like this, I'm, I can do a five, four, three, two, one in my head because he literally said that. And I'm filming it, and, and I'm filming this live, so I have this on my camera. It's a, on a video on Rob's YouTube. I look out of the corner of my eye. They're not looking at Steve. They're looking at each other. And then they say to Steve, our battery's just drained on all our cameras. Now, you, now they, anybody could say anything about that. That's a very subjective moment, right? Anybody could say, oh, they did that for a camera effect. Okay, they could. I've been in the business for a long time. So I sit there and I know an authentic. They weren't looking at Steve. Like I looked at them and they're like, they're, they're looking at each other. And the crew went, we're, we've lost our battery. We've lost our power. We don't, our batteries were full and, 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 and they've just completely drained down. And Steve, to see him on camera, he's just like, I've never had anything like this happen before ever. I do not know what's going on.
It's the small, unassuming moments that don't always add up. Can we blame them all on extraterrestrial happenings? Probably not. But with the stigma being lifted and a steady stream of unexplainable things continuing to happen, explanations are starting to be sought more than ever. These include the scientists and physicists that are examining the captured footage of UFO flights. But it's not just limited to this. And the basis of these studies can sometimes push the boundaries of what anyone will or won't believe, regardless of the fact they're rooted in science and mathematics. This is just one example. We've had a very strange things happen, which we have 100% proof for. For example, we had one of the team members was um, Liz was with us, and she had an apartment, and she had to pay her rent. This is when we went to Australia, and her rent for, I think it was the March 1st, was due while we were gone. She made arrangements uh, that she would leave the check for the rent uh, in her dresser drawer, and she asked her ex, will you go in on March 1st, and will you uh, take the check down to the landlord and pay my rent? It's due on that day. And he said, yes. Yeah. So we were in Australia. So March 1st, he goes into, you know, he has a key because sometimes he has to be there to let the boys come, you know, when they come home from school, they were young and she was at work or whatever. So um, he went in with the key. He went to the dresser drawer. He took the checkbook and he tore out the check and he took it down to the landlord. The landlord made an entry in the ledger. The landlord then took it to his bank, the credit union and deposited the check and Liz saw it go through her account while we were in Australia and she saw a picture of the check the scanned copy of it everything was fine Liz called and says Mark you're never going to believe this but the check is still in the book and we immediately thought well wait a minute maybe they did a photo deposit or something like this but her landlord is in his 80s he doesn't even know about uh photo deposit and not only that it was endorsed on the back of the check a photo deposit you don't endorse it you just take a deposit uh, to take a photo of the front and back of the check and that's it so we uh, marcus went to the bank when we got back and the bank the teller said yes this check was presented to us a paper copy the paper check was presented but yet we have the check still in Liz's checkbook. Now, we've made a copy of it, and we've got a copy of the scanned check, the same check. We've held it up against each other, front and back to the window on the light, and it's exactly the same check. We've had it forensically um, studied, and our, our fellow who forensically studied says, you know, all the writing on the check, the amount, the signature, everything is identical. No human being could do that. This is not a hoax. So we've had it explained to us by physicists who are studying these things. And they said, this is a case of a split timeline here, Rob, or an alternate universe, like a parallel universe. And we're like with our mouths open and, and we're saying, does this exist? And they say, yes, mathematics proves the existence of this, of these things. Uh, but we don't often see proof of it. You have proof that it happened. Sounds a bit like a Doctor Strange movie, but the theory is backed by mathematicians, not Hollywood producers. And yes, conventional thinking would consider the theory madness, rightly or wrongly. We just don't know yet. 
But it goes to show that the limits of our world are nowhere near being understood, let alone the rest of the universe. To think that we are the only living beings in what appears to be an infinitely stretching galaxy would be naive, not to mention arrogant, to think. Even with the limited understanding we have of life outside of Earth, we can see we may not be alone. But what's yet to be proven to a degree beyond any possibility of doubt is if contact has ever been made with an extraterrestrial. In his travels around the world and the pursuits of the unknown, Rob can say with 99.99% certainty, he has made contact. In Australia, there was uh, Marcus, Liz, myself, there was Lauren Kurth, and Mark and Liz had gone out during the day and were getting B-roll footage. So, and it was quite hot in Australia, and they were a little tired. And Lauren and I wanted to go out sky watching, and we were going to stay out all night. Okay, we're not far from Ayers Rock, the famous monolith in Australia. And I said, Mark and Liz, you guys want to come out? And they said, no, we've been out filming all day. We're tired. We're just going to pack it in early. So Lauren and myself went out with all of the equipment, and we had it set up. Now, we drove about 30 minutes down the road from our resort. The resort's in the middle of nowhere. Okay, and we went down the highway and we wanted to find a spot. It's desert, it's out back. We had the car hidden out of view from the highway and we were set up and and we were maybe, you know, a couple hundred feet off the highway and we saw this car coming and it was maybe only the third vehicle that had been on the highway so far during the night. Maybe the second. And we saw the lights on the highway and we saw it slow down. And our hearts started pounding. We were getting nervous, like, what? What's going on here? And he stopped and he turned towards us. And we could see his lights. And we're getting scared. I was just curious. Like, I was so curious that this is such an extreme coincidence. How could this be? And uh, I wanted to find out what his motivation was. What drew him to this spot? And, and uh, Lauren says, well, I'm coming with you. So she went with me. We The guy got out of the car. We're talking to him, you know, hi, hello, and all this stuff. And as he was speaking to us, I got the sense I wasn't talking to a human being. Like, he, he looked like a human being. And, you know, they talk often about these tall, uh, about uh, ETs being Nordic looking. Okay, and they look like Swedish or Norway type people, right, or Finland. This guy looked like that. Uh, a, a tall, handsome guy. And we're talking, and, and I said, well, where are you from? And he says, well, I've come from the north, you know, one of the mines near the coast. And I thought, that's hundreds of miles away. I said, well, where are you going? He says, well, I've got, you know, several hours to go to the other coast. And it's like, and he said, he's just going home for the weekend. And I thought, this doesn't make sense. Nobody does that. Nobody drives hundreds of miles just to go home for the weekend. And I looked at the guy and his clothes were like pressed, clean, squeaky clean. I thought for a guy who's been working in the mine and then driving here, how come his clothes look like he just bought them or they're just from the laundry pressed? And and I kind of was watching the way he was talking and he didn't seem to have the same inflections that we do. Like me, I'm a little bit animated when we talk. He didn't have that. He wasn't robotic either, but it was not far from it. It was like everything he was saying was rehearsed. 
almost like a, uh, an American spy might do in the war, you know, with Germany that, you know, somebody of German descent that lives in the States might be hired as a spy to go back to Germany and has to interact. And they've been trained on everything to say. You know, I knew more about Australia than he did. We were talking about different things. And um, I couldn't understand how it is that, that he was in this spot. And, you know, finally, he he said to us, he says, well, if you'd rather I go skywatch somewhere else, I could. We continued skywatching through the night and, you know, not much happened. And in the morning when the light was coming up, we packed up. We got in the car to go back to the resort, drive back down the highway 30 minutes. And I was waiting to turn into the resort because there was a vehicle coming. And I didn't actually look at the person in the vehicle, but he was coming the opposite way, as if going back to where we were. And as the car went by, Lauren said to me, Rob, did you see who that was? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, that's our guy from last night. I says, why is he going in that direction? He said he was going home. And this was now like six hours later, five hours later. So without skipping a beat, I just did a Yui. Instead of turning down the road, I did a Yui. And I started hightailing it after him. But there was no after him. There was no car. So that's the bizarre part is we drove all the way back to where we were and we never saw the car again. So we both saw the car. But as soon as I turned, there was no car. So figure that one out. And we were both witness to that. To believe in these things or not, that's up to you. They are strange. And even with the scientific and mathematical backing they have, there is still a mental hurdle to overcome before you take that leap of faith. But what we can confirm is that stories like these are profoundly interesting. And the fact that something like the UFO sighting of 1966 happening in our own backyard makes it all the more interesting. Rob kind of coined this perfect perfect way of describing anything that's not, you know, lights in the sky. And it became, it was high strangeness. And then Rob threw in the word cool. Because it's cool, right? I mean, it is. I mean, it becomes, yeah, of course, there's there's a strangeness to it. And anything that's strange is anything you don't understand, right? That you can't explain. Um, but it's still cool. Like, for us, it's been super cool. So yeah. I would say that 95 to 98% of what we've experienced has been cool high strangeness. It's ground or, or ground activity. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media. This episode was written and produced by Patrick Magermans. Remember, you can subscribe to the 519 Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.